This episode of the Randy Russell Podcast is brought to you by Underscore Taco, for when you're hungry, but you're not sure for what, and through a generous grant from the Your Name Here Foundation. Find this in future episodes at rspeen.com and Apple Podcasts. Questions or comments? Email us at rrpodcast2000 at gmail.com. Today's guest host, Laurel Sulfate, is an artist and musician who lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You can find her on most major social media, and you can find her band, Laurel Sulfate and Her Ladies of Leisure, on all major streaming services, including Spotify and Apple Music. Welcome to the Randy Russell Podcast. I'm your host, Laurel Sulfate. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our guest today. He's one of the country's foremost collectors of clown art. It's Randy Russell. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show today, Randy. Yeah, sure. Uh, so today, uh, the topic we're going to discuss is coffee shops and diners, which is something I understand that you and I have in common as far as liking to frequent uh, coffee shops and diners. It's sort of like a weird hobby of mine. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you find it to be a hobby of yours as well? Would you consider it like that? Yeah, that's, that's kind of a, like a lifelong pursuit more than a hobby, <laughs> I guess. Um, so this is a really broad question to start for you, but um, do you have a set of parameters, like a set, kind of set of rules about what makes a good coffee shop or a good diner for you? Yeah, there, I mean, so, so many uh, parameters. <laughs> I mean, you could talk talk for uh, several podcasts <laughs> about that. I think, but um, it, I think most of all, it's just the feeling of the place. For me, it's more than food; is the, the atmosphere of a place. Um, and I think the older I get, though, the more I start thinking about the food part of it too. But and I, I, I was always someone who I just really liked. You have eggs and potatoes, and you know, you know eggs are only going to get so good anyway. <laughs> um, and then the way the way the uh, place feels, just the uh, atmosphere, the pe- people there, the history of it. But it's it's a huge subject, and um, yeah, no, I know I started kind of broad with you there. Yeah, no, I I um, I've like everywhere I've lived, there's pl- places that's the, one of the first things I. I go out and search out the the places that I want to hang out, and uh, and probably the I, when I was younger, I didn't really notice it so much. Like think about diners, and um, in my hometown, there was a place where I started to go, and that's probably where I first started thinking about it. And it was, it, it was I just realized that like this is a great place to just hang, to, to sit and notice what's going on. I can't really remember a point where that happened. Um, you know, ultimately, it just became a big subject with, with all my friends. What um, What was the name of the diner in your hometown? Do you remember? It was a place called Markley's, <clears throat> and it was the guy. It was the name was after the guy who owned it, named Mar- Roger Markley. This was in Sandusky, Ohio, and it was a. It, w- it was an old. It had been a Cupies, like a Cupies a hamburger restaurant. Which I think there's still one in Racine. Do you know if there's one in? I don't. I've actually never heard of it, but now I'm curious to go there because it sounds amazing. I love the name. I know there. I used. I know there used to be a a Cupies in R- Racine. Um, last I checked, but I don't know. I haven't been there in a while. And it was like it was like a national hamburger chain, but there was not that many of them. It was not like as many as like White Castle or White Tower. Right. And there was one in. Sandusky, and sometime I think it was in the fifties or the sixties, it turned over to Markley's, and then they remodeled it in a really weird way, where they put this prefab-looking wood over the outside of it, so it didn't have any of that the look of the the Cupies place, like an old diner look. And so all the time I was growing up, it looked like this, like a a big uh, wooden box. <laughs> 
So like they wood paneled the outside of the building. Yeah, they wood paneled it. And I just thought, what, you know, like, what's the appeal of that? You know, it just was always really ugly to me. But my dad used to go there regularly. And I go, like, why does my dad go there? I don't know. You know, he just, like, that's where he would go when he was working, going for coffee or go for lunch. Um, And then when I finally got my first job in that town, I lived in the downtown, and I had to, like, unload a truck at, like, 7 a.m. I said, I'm going to go there and have coffee first for unloading the truck and I started going there and I and then I just totally understood the appeal of it um, and I don't even know if I had gone there with my dad I don't I don't rem- really remember the first time I went there but you know suddenly it was like oh this place is really great that all these old people sit here at the counter and there's a counter and they sit there at the same people every day and the same waitresses were there like year after year who were there were like two sisters who were like they looked like they were you know in their 70s and they were just there forever and they had to you know the grill behind the counter and the owner roger markley was there he was doing all the cooking at the grill um and they also the the main thing that was like really great is they had a donut machine that in there that that's amazing that had um so every morning that's the first thing they would do is run this donut machine where it was an automatic one where the it, it dropped the batter rings into the hot grease and you could sit at the counter and watch it working. And then it would flip them over and then eventually flip them out and they'd roll down this thing and, and, and you know, they, so you could get hot donuts. That's There's actually really one. extra special. I don't think I've ever been in a diner that had its own donut machine. I do love watching the donut machines, like at State Fair or something, when you oh, watch yeah. them drop into the batter and float and fry, and then they shake them with the sugar and everything. Yeah. So, did you have? Were they like sugar coated donuts, like cinnamon sugar? Well, they were. They were like you know they were cake donuts, <clears throat> you know rings ring cake donuts, and then they would, after they came out of the machine, they would put frosting on them, and they I think they put cinnamon and sugar on some. And frosting on some sprinkles and whatever, and then some they would leave plain. I always like the plain ones for whatever reason, the most. So I'd usually get like eggs, potatoes, coffee, two donuts. <laughs> work. So, so did you sit at the counter? Yeah, that's I a, sat at the counter. That's there. a big question: yeah. whether you're a counter sitter or a booth sitter. I never understood the people who sat at the tables in the middle by choice, unless it's really crowded and you have to sit at a table in the middle. Yeah, I know. It's always a. It's always like the first thing I will make a note of is counter, booths, tables, combination. What combination? <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah, and I always, yeah, I just consider the the tables kind of worthless, but. Do you um, think there's anybody who actually likes the table the best? Prob- I always wonder about probably that. Probably there is. There's probably someone who like they they don't they. Maybe they have a, a back issues or something. I don't know. Or the chairs are right. better. I don't know. <laughs> or the, the booths seem weird to them. They don't like to be hemmed in by a booth. Like they, they have to yeah. escape at a moment's notice because they're yeah, a spy or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, or just have some, <laughs> some weird issue. I don't know. So, okay. So I know that you are gluten intolerant. So does that, I don't know how long you've known that, but did it like, color your affection for diners and coffee shops because a lot of that stuff is kind of like bready yeah that's i yeah i found out that i was gluten intolerant um in all the way back in 1993 you're on the the vanguard so it was a long time ago yeah so it's been a long time since i've been able to like go and just have normal not worry about what i'm eating um i used to i was i was vegetarian for quite a long time before that and kind of at that point where I started not eating gluten is when I started eating meat regularly again not not it was kind of gradual that makes sense um but then I I always keep thinking about it like I want to be vegetarian again but then it's like there's I'm already so limited when I eat somewhere and so it's always kind of a dilemma um but yeah, but donuts are the one thing that's really <laughs> hard to get. There are places that have gluten-free donuts now, but generally they're not that same kind where they're cooking in the in the oil like that. Because if you're cooking donuts with 
flour and you know wheat flour and and in the oil that will contaminate the other ones. So oh yeah, I didn't even can't think really that. happen. So most of the places that have gluten-free donuts are like baked donuts. So um, are the gluten-free donuts any good? Or are they like a pale simulacrum? Well, <laughs> it's you know way. it's 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 not the same. <laughs> I mean, the, my favorite donuts are those. Ones that are are essentially deep fried, fried in oil. Yeah. Um, so it's not not really the same. But you know, there's so many different kinds of donuts too. So I'm sure people prefer different ones. And those are my fa- my favorite are, are the ones that are closest to the those ones at Markley's because you know that was my probably my original really liking donuts. I don't even remember eating them when I was little. Um, I was just like for years and years, I just thought about trying finding ones that tasted like those because it was such a strong experience. That's interesting. Do you think, um, so as far as like loving diners, do you think it's just a strongly emotional experience for you and that's why you like love them so much? For me, it is. I feel like it's strongly emotional, but I don't know where that comes from necessarily because I don't remember eating in diners a lot as a kid or anything. I don't think it was until high school that I started going to like diners and coffee shops and hanging out and things like that. Yeah, I don't. I sometimes think about that when it evolved because it wasn't like as a kid really. We had a we had a Frisch's big boy in our town that was um, like you know like. You know, there's Bob. I don't know what there was. There a big boy in Milwaukee ever? I think there was, wasn't there? I I, I didn't grow up here, so I don't know. There's Mark's big boy. There's a Mark's big boy. Oh, okay. Yeah, there. (laughs) In different places, there are different names that are that are they're like franchise names, but there there's a lot of them. I never really understand that stood that structure of the big boys, but there's Bob's big boy, Mark's Frisch's. I can't remember what the other ones are. We had one that was Frisch's. It was very much like a diner. That was also that was like a drive-in too, where you go in, in your car, sit outside. They come to your car window, and I went there with my parents a lot, especially with my mom when we were kids. And um, it was kind of similar to a diner experience, but we ate more in our car. Um, later on, when um, I could go downtown by myself without my parents, we'd go inside, and that was kind of maybe the first diner-like place yeah but otherwise it was it's not really a thing from what being a kid too much i didn't really it wasn't until that that was when i was i would think i was 20 probably when i started going to that merkley's diner so it was very much being as an adult i feel like i had a soft entry into diner experiences with going to like Perkins and Denny's in high school because they were open all night long. All right, so that's yeah. where you'd go and hang out with your friends and they'd serve you coffee all night and it would be the cheapest experience that you could have and stay out all night long. And your folks would be cool with it because you weren't getting in trouble because you were just sitting at Perkins all night long. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a, it's a very similar thing. And, and yeah, going going somewhere at night. Is that after, after you were driving? Um, after my best friend was driving she had she was a year older than me so she got her license and had a car that she had access to before i did so she would scoop me and one of our other best friends up she we would actually break him out of his house because he was not supposed to be out past curfew so he'd climb out to the back window of the house we'd go get him with the lights turned off on the car and everything and it's classic yeah and then we'd just (laughs) we'd literally just drive around all night long and we'd stop at perkins sometimes and hang out all night or denny's depending on what side of town you were on or we would just drive in circles all over madison until like the sun started to come up and then the birds would start chirping and as soon as you heard the birds chirping you knew that you had to get home and get everybody to bed before the sun totally came up and you either got in trouble or had trouble sleeping because the birds were too loud it was like the worst <laughs> trying to fall asleep when the birds were so loud. You're so angry at birds. So, But you, you could get away with staying out all night, essentially. Yeah, my mom didn't care. She was pretty chill about that kind of thing. There was like one year I had a curfew when I was 15, and the rule was if I could manage to keep my curfew for that year, then after that I didn't have a curfew. If I like didn't get in trouble for that whole year, which I didn't because I was really nerdy, so... Oh, that's good. Yeah, because the extent of trouble we got into was sneaking off to the Perkins all night long. So, 
We used to sleep out in tents a lot when it was warmer, so then we could get away with anything because we were sleeping outside. Like in the backyard? Yeah, in the backyard, but in, we had a woods behind our house. So we started sleeping out in the woods and we could do anything. But we didn't go to establishments too much, though, that I can remember. Um, it's funny, we had a Perkins, and and where I grew up was... The name of the, where I grew up was a suburb of Sandusky, Ohio. It was called Perkins Township. And I, <laughs> I thought that Perkins, for years, I thought Perkins was named after Perkins Township. I had no idea it was like a national chain. <laughs> Only later I found that out. It was a, um, a real revelation. But I pretty much didn't go th there. And I don't even remember if we had any kind of 24-hour restaurant i don't think so um i was i was going through some of my old notebooks from high school recently and i do remember reading where um on a, a new year's eve party some some of the kids went to the down to the fish's big boy at four in the morning so that might have been 24 hours actually and i, I didn't do that that much so it wasn't really until, yeah, it was really that diner thing wasn't until later. We would go to, like, fast food places. We'd go to Pizza Hut or something. Oh, yeah, we would do but, that, too. But just to eat. And our, we, had a, we, we kind of terrorized places a little bit. I think um, we did, too. I think we were unaware that we were terrorizing them because we were just hanging out, and teenagers are pretty oblivious to everything yeah. around them but themselves. <laughs> So we would go to the Perkins, and I would remember I would order, like, a bread bowl with nothing in it. Like, they had bread bowl salads, but I wouldn't order the whole salad. I'd just order the bowl and a side of honey mustard sauce because it was $1.75 and a cup of bottomless coffee or Coke, whatever I was feeling that day. And we would stay there for hours and hours, and all of us would do this. So there's a group of, like, five kids crammed into a booth, all of them spending about $5, and the poor waitress would have to, like, keep us there holding that booth all night long. She probably was like off shift and waiting for us to leave and we weren't leaving. And then we would like leave our tip entirely in pocket change yeah, and like spell out her name with a heart or something because we thought she would love it. We were probably the worst. <laughs> yeah, I remember giving someone a negative tip once. It was terrible. I felt... What? You know, like where you, you, you wrote on a piece of paper. <laughs> Minus... Two dollars, oh, negative no. tip. You just, just feel terrible. Sometimes you think about stuff you did when you were a teenager. Oh, that's something I would never do now <laughs> as an adult. And I mean, also as a server, I, even if I hate the service, I can't bring myself to leave less than 15%. 15% yeah. from me is a, you did a terrible job, and I almost want to talk to the manager. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I don't. I mean, even when I was... I, an older teenager, I wouldn't do that. But I at one point, we were, we were just kind of out of control. And it probably involved a drinking, too. Did you drink a lot as a teenager? Yeah, that's you drank a lot. And, um, well, I think that it, when we were so serious about drinking, I think that we'd, we didn't go to eat at places that much. Because you were too busy yeah, yeah, hoarding your bottle yeah. of like plastic Fleshman's vodka or whatever you could scrounge yeah, kind of thing. Mainly beer. We were mainly beer drinkers. Beer. But we were just pretty into that and didn't even, I don't even, it didn't come up so much. We're, like, we're hungry now. We're going to go eat somewhere. Um, so it's, it was a, it's kind of a different thing in a way that it's hanging out at night and then going in mornings. I think I think for me that what my real love of diners got to be going in mornings, morning times, and uh, breakfast or just coffee. Yeah. And also the start of me really liking coffee, which I didn't when I was younger. And I don't really remember when I started to really li like coffee. Um, I remember going to Markley's before unloading that truck, that I would have one cup of coffee, and that's like all I needed. So it was like that. That's really. <laughs> were you drinking the coffee because you felt like it was something you were supposed to do at the diner? Like it felt appropriate, or did you actually want and crave the coffee? And I, I felt like I could take it or leave it at that point. So I really, I didn't have a caffeine addiction yet. I, I didn't the drink same it thing. Da daily. 
And then I, w- I would realize that well, if I drink that, I'm going to work really hard. <laughs> and for years and years, too, with, with jobs, jobs would have co- free coffee, and I would refuse to drink coffee. But, and I just had just a, I had a bad attitude. I would say, you're not paying me enough to... To use drug, you know, to use a stimulant to work. You're not paying so, me enough to drink your crappy yeah, coffee. So, so I'm not gonna, I just, I would, I wouldn't even drink like Coke or anything. I, w- I just would totally avoid caffeine because I just thought like I'm not getting paid enough to drink under a artificial stimulated condition. To make yourself work harder. Yeah. You feel like that's why they were giving you the coffee and the Coke was to yeah. stimulate your uh, your productivity. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think yeah, about it that I was, way. I would always be like, "Oh, they're just being nice. It's free beverages." I don't know. Why. They just all happen to be caffeinated. I don't know why I got such a bad attitude to begin with. <laughs> do you feel like you still have a bad attitude like that towards work, or do you feel like you've like mellowed over the years? No, I've I've gotten less of a bad attitude. Yeah, generally. Um, I mean, I probably still do. I mean, I think you should get paid more, have more benefits and everything else. But I always, but now now I just try and do the best work I can do. I think I have a much and coffee better helps. attitude. Yeah. And, and, well, I get, got to the point where I started having jobs where they don't provide coffee anymore. And I've had a, a couple jobs where they don't have free coffee and, and I just think like this is like crazy but <laughs> you're like where where's my free coffee yeah and it's it's true I think people yeah there's places that you, they don't give you coffee you know there was like a thing that you'd always could count on in a job they're gonna have coffee of of some type it might be the the really terrible Mr. Coffee sitting on the burner all day type coffee oh that's really true but but now places don't even have it I, um, I've worked in restaurants for a long time, so I pretty much always have access to all of the beverages my heart desires, which is not actually that good of a thing because I am kind of really addicted to Coca-Cola. Like, I love it. I love the way it smells. I, like, love looking at the can. Like, it's red and with that white stripe, and when I see it, I have, like, a Pavlovian response to it where I, like, need a Coca-Cola. It's really bad. So having it, they always have it on the gun at work, so... Having that much access is actually not that good for me. Although I, I did work at a Japanese restaurant once where we just had access to green tea, and that was the only free beverage that we had access to, and I think that was the healthiest I've ever been in my life. Oh, yeah, that's much better. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I still like to... I have drink Coke sometimes, and I try to avoid sugar more than ever, and sometimes it's just the thing. Though. Like, you really... Yeah. It seems like the right thing to drink, and... I grew up drinking it, of course, a lot, and um, but we had we our we were a Pepsi family. <laughs> we were too. My mom always had like cases of it in the house. Like it was back then. I think I don't know. People didn't realize about healthy beverages or things. We always had terrible snacks just around. Like we would buy bags of Doritos and like boxes of Hostess cupcakes, and like cases of Pepsi, which is worse than Coke. Sorry, I just said that on a public podcast. I'm not going to get that Pepsi sponsorship for us that we were hoping to get. <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, like, I know it was just around and there was, like, no monitoring and both of my parents worked and I was, like, a latchkey kid. So you'd get home from school and just, like, gorge on snack foods. And that's kind of how I grew up eating, basically. So now, comparatively, I think I'm a really good eater in but I'm actually not, compared to a lot of people who are very controlled in their diets, I'm really not at all. Yeah, we, I don't know why my parents like Pepsi better than Coke. They just had certain preferences. You think it was like an 80s thing? It might, it might maybe. Well, it wasn't the 80s yet, so <laughs> maybe it was a 70s thing. The advertising they liked better. Um, they taste different, so they might have just... I always felt like Pepsi was a little sweeter. It is, and like less fizzy. Yeah, so maybe that's they just like the. And they always had they always had it in returnable bottles, 
So they had everything in returnable, you know, returnable bottles. Then. Oh yeah, I think I remember in my early childhood we had bottles, and then at some point it switched over to cans. Probably in like the mid '80s, and they had all yeah. those like Pepsi uh, limited edition cans, where it'd be like a pair of sunglasses with like a lady sipping a soda or whatever, and they looked very appealing. You really wanted that can. Um, I actually think so. This is sort of a side note, but I read a book that was a biography of cocaine, like it was a history of the use of cocaine. Um, it was a really interesting book, but one of the kind of side notey things they mentioned is that Coca-Cola is the only cola that still actually has coca leaves in it. Um, they took them out for a while, which was New Coke, and everybody hated New Coke, and they brought back Coca-Cola Classic, which is why it now always says Classic on the cans. And basically what they did was they took out the coca leaves. Everyone complained, so they put them back in. Uh, and I think Coke is the only soda that has coca leaves in it, which is why it's called Coca-Cola. And they have, like, one plant out in New Jersey that, like, decoconizes the leaves. I don't know how that works, but mm. they remove the cocaine from it, so there's no cocaine content in it, but it still has those leaves. And I wonder if that's the difference that people detect when they're like, I love Coca-Cola the best, is they're actually it's really like addicted so. to the coca leaves. Or just if there's a distinct flavor, I guess that's what they at least want you to think. More than any kind of addictive <laughs> thing, the flavor, the flavor of the coca leaves. But that's, you know, that's weird. That's um, it does the flavor. If if you think about it, it's it's a weird, it's a strange beverage. You know, yeah, the kids shouldn't even like it. It's kind of an adult beverage. It probably true. was originally uh, meant for adults, so. It does seem like an adult thing. Like kids, you you know, you think of you would be more like liking fruity, fruity flavors or right, um, like Kool Aid or something. Yeah. Like really simple flavors. I feel like as you age, your palate ages and like kind of gets more mature too. Like it has more ability to pick up kind of weird or like weird uh, kind of unusual things like bitterness oh, or sure. sourness yeah. or things yeah, you like don't that. Like the, you don't like bitterness when you're a little kid. Yeah. Or anything even remotely spicy, like when your mom would put pepper on something, and it would be like that crappy pepper from the grocery store, and you'd still be like, it's too spicy, oh, yeah. it's got pepper in it. Yeah, I think, yeah, you develop that. Well, that's a tough thing if you're in a job where you have free fountain Coke. Yeah. That's hard to resist. And also, you don't monitor how much you drink if you just keep filling up a... I, or something. I do, but it takes a lot of self-control. And every shift, I start the shift saying, today I'm not going to have any soda. And then by about four hours into the shift, I'm like, okay, it's time for a soda. <laughs> so I usually have one at least. But then maybe it ends up being two by the time it's the end of the night and I get my shift meal at the end of the night. All right, yeah. But I do cut it with soda water so it's not as sweet. So it's like half Coke, half soda water. So oh, that's good if you can do that. That's, sort of tastes like helpful. a wimpy Coke. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's hard. It, it's hard at work though, because no matter how good you feel going, and sometimes you just get to the point where you go, like, I just need something. Now. <laughs> I need, yeah. Need extra to get through. Um, I feel like part of it is like lack of brain stimulation. Like you're doing your job, it's going well, you're doing fine, and there's like a certain level of stimulation, but whatever intellectual needs you have aren't being met, and your brain is just sort of grasping for some kind of like pleasure response, and so you start thinking, oh, I could really use a snack, or I could really use a soda, or like something that's actually going to like trigger your pleasure responses in your brain, because your job doesn't really do it like that, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. I'm sure if... if, if it was as stimulating as stuff you worked on on your own. Right. It would, it would you just don't even think about eating or needing needing things to get through. Right. Like if you're working on a project of your own and you lose time because you're so involved in your project or you're reading yeah. a book or something and all of a sudden hours have passed by and you didn't go to the bathroom or eat or drink or anything. Yeah. Yeah, how can you make job? How could they make jobs more like that? Probably not. It's <laughs> By the nature of jobs, I've never worked as a server anywhere. I've worked in restaurants. What did you do so in restaurants? I was always dishwasher. Dishwasher. Yeah, I, I never went higher than dishwasher. <laughs> dishwashing's kind of great, though. Yeah. I uh, every once in a while, I've picked up a dishwashing shift when they've been like short-staffed at places I've worked. 
And it's nice because nobody bothers you. You can yeah. listen to your own music and wear your own clothes and you're just like hidden away. There's really not a lot of stress to it. Other yeah, than best you're done. hidden away. Yeah, that's the best ones. Yeah. Or, you know, you're dealing with other people the least. That's when it's... The best one I had was in, I worked at a, in just a dining hall at Kent State. And it was just a, the dish room was completely isolated from the rest of the kitchen. And all the, the trays came down this long conveyor belt. And they had a huge, a huge dish machine in there. And I didn't even know where the kitchen was in relation to it. So you were just <laughs> completely on your own. And you just go start in. I, and I worked bre- the breakfast shift. And the and the students would just send back uneaten stuff, like, you know, because they had food coupons, they right. weren't using money, and uh, so they would get these. You know, they would think, oh, "I'm really hungry. I'm going to get this huge breakfast," and then they would get it, and like, I'm not hungry, and they would they would put their full breakfast on the tray and come back, and so I would end up just setting all these plates of food, like when they're really untouched, I'd set them on top of the dish, machine, which was hot. So I had like, you know, plates of pancakes and eggs. And so I would just have a gigantic breakfast every morning during that my That makes shift. me happy to hear because there's like, I feel like there's a huge debate in the service industry about whether or not you eat leftover food that comes back. Like some people will do it and some people are completely disgusted by the idea. I feel like you're either one kind of person or you're the other kind of person. And if you're the kind of person who likes to eat the leftovers... I'm like looking around. Then you don't want to like let everyone know that you're that person just in case you encounter the person who finds it disgusting. Because I'm totally a leftovers eater. I will. Not if it's got bites out of it or anything. <laughs> but like when I worked at the sushi place, um, like whole trays of sushi would come back completely untouched. It was kind of the same thing. And that sushi, it's really expensive. It's fancy. Oh, yeah. Like it's often made of like raw fish and I don't know. There's a sort of environmental impact issue there, which is part of why I don't work in a Japanese restaurant anymore because I feel a little issue about that. But I would, it would be like a shame to let all that sushi go to waste. So sometimes the servers would walk through the restaurant and kind of give each other the eye when you had the tray and you were obviously going back to dish. And everyone would kind of converge on the dish room and people would just pound it into their mouths and then try and chew it up and swallow it as fast as possible and then get back on the floor. So you're like two-fisting sushi. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah I, lo- I love have, getting free food. <clears throat> That's like the best food. It's free food. <laughs> That's really true. There's nothing that tastes better than an illicitly uh, come by a meal. <laughs> That's, like the, That's the saddest part about having, finding out having gluten intolerance. It, was, it cut down on the free food just so much. Like so many things I couldn't eat anymore that had to pass up because of that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but... Like when you go to an office meeting and they have donuts and you're like, oh, oh yeah, and they, they, yeah. They, there's a tons of free food in some offices and I just can't touch any of it. I used to, I used to eat pizza like from anywhere, you know, like <laughs> when I was like in college. Like I, I remember taking it out of the, going to the girl, the girl side of the dorm. We had like co-ed dorms, so I'd go over to the other side, or there was a, maybe there was a dumpster in between. I don't know and. Just seeing, going into the dumpster and just pulling out a box of half-full pizza. Awesome. So you used to dumpster food. Do you not still? The, not, well, not the, I didn't that much because it is not. a little gross. But <laughs> but it was, but you know, those, pizza though. That was kind of a that was kind of a trend amongst my like hipster friends for a pizza, while was dumpstering so it's, food. It's in its own box. Yeah. It's, I actually had this, like, uh, I had a funny experience where I was playing a show with my old band in Minneapolis, and somebody at the show, it was uh, in a community center, but it was pretty, it was run entirely by, like, punks, and somebody had dumpstered a whole giant bag of bagels that had been thrown away by, like, by, like, a bakery nearby or something, and so everybody at this show was having a dance party and eating these bagels, and a friend of mine who is pretty, he's kind of fancy, um, had come to see my band play and it's not his scene. Like the punk scene is not his scene. Dumpstering food is not his scene and everyone's eating these bagels and he comes up to me and he's like, Laurel, just so you know, they got those out of the trash. He was so horrified. (laughs) Yeah. Bagels are so, 
self-contained you know they, they're right. they're hard exterior yeah that's it's some things you worry about more <laughs> that's very true like, you know you're not going to go you might not want to take like spaghetti out of the poster. <laughs> uh, the, the bagels are perfect and, and they're always being thrown away too like oh, right yeah where i work now I'd, i could i could probably live off the bagels um i would never need to grocery shop i actually that, live that off I leftover I pizza throw, throw so away. I can relate. I can totally relate to your situation. <laughs> um, so this is a random question that I really was dying to ask you about diners and coffee shops, which we actually haven't even gotten into coffee shops yet. This, you're right. This could go uh, on yeah. forever. Um, how important are bathrooms to you? Do you like review and critique the bathrooms when you're in a restaurant? Because I do. Oh yeah. I, th- I think a lot about the bathrooms. Yeah. It's, well, it's very important because I I always have to use the bathroom in the public place, for sure. Um, and and there, there once in a while you go. There are coffee shops that don't have a bathroom, diners that don't have a bathroom. That's it's true, a, it's especially cra- it's crazy. Especially but, in places uh, like New York, I feel like yeah. around here it's less likely. But if you go to New York City or someplace like that, there are a lot of places that just don't have a bathroom for you to use, which is crazy for me. Oh yeah, no, I know for sure, yeah. There's a, there's a really good diner just north of Chinatown. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's a, just an excellent diner, but it doesn't, there's no bathroom. And yeah, Chinatown's kind of rough to find bathrooms sometimes, too. Chinatown in which city? In New York. In New York? Yeah. It's, um, so it's like I couldn't, I couldn't go to that diner a lot because I thought, like, I'm not, I'd have to be the, know where I'm going directly afterwards. <laughs> to a, the bathroom, right? And then just yeah, and, the, and there's just the what the bathrooms are like and the condition of the bathroom. It's like it's a, yeah, that's a big issue for okay. me. Whether or not you have to like walk through the kitchen to get there, which I've encountered, yeah. which is a strange experience. Sometimes I like that because <laughs> it's, it's, it's so weird. Um, yeah, going through yeah, right through the kitchen, and that's a, that's like a, that's another New York thing because everything's so. Cr- cramped together and so crowded yeah there was one place it was not a, it was a i think it was a, a vietnamese restaurant where going to the bathroom you had you'd have to kind of actually physically brush up against the chefs <laughs> it was so small you kind of like push by them you know excuse me and kind of make your body then push by them and kind of actually touch them to get to the bathroom it's, yeah, I've only experienced that on the East Coast and uh, growing up in the Midwest and not really being out there much. I didn't get out to the East Coast until I was an adult. And that was a shock to me, learning, A, that some places don't have bathrooms and B, some places do, but they're in the kitchen or past the kitchen and feeling almost like I'm going to get in trouble for walking through there. Like, how can this be health code? Well, yeah. No, it's... it's, And sometimes they're so bit dirty so terrible and it's kind of a bummer or like deeply air conditioned to the point where you actually can't go because it's freezing in there oh, yeah. the rest or, of the restaurant is comfortable but the toilet seat is like an ice cube or it's winter and they're not heated yeah, <laughs> not, not heated whatsoever yeah, i uh i read this weird article about uh or re- weird comment on the internet about how supposedly the women's bathroom at cafe corazon in river west has a ghost in it and uh, it's, I don't know where I read this, but I read it. It was on the internet somewhere. And that bathroom is always freezing no matter what time of day it is, no matter what time of year it is. It's the coldest room on earth, probably. And supposedly this ghost is in the, the supply closet in the women's bathroom. And I always think about that now when I'm in there because it's so cold in there and supposedly ghosts create cold spots. I'm like, that's why it's so cold in here, even though I don't even believe in that stuff. But it's impossible that it's always so cold in there. Well, that's interesting that they, you know, they're just people t- have talked about it, huh? Yeah. No, I, I, I kind of do believe in ghosts. At least I've, I've been places where I've felt, I've felt the presence of ghosts. So I just say that I do believe in ghosts, except I, you know, I don't try to. I guess I kind of secretly do, but, anybody, I feel, but uh, I feel guilty about it. Like I didn't I hear feel... that about the zone. Where do you think? Are there any places in town that you feel like you've encountered ghosts? Or that um, you felt the presence of ghosts that you can think of, like, well, regularly? Well, some places where I used... Well, I'm not sure, yeah. I thought where I used to live, I did. 
Um, I lived in this place on Van Buren Street. Um, and here I don't. Where I live now, I don't, oddly, because it's an old, old old hotel. Right. It should be um, rife with ghosts. And But I know that there's... A lot of, there's a lot of places in Milwaukee that are very famous for ghosts, like the the Fister Hotel. Is supposedly have ghosts, and there's I've heard that there's actually, you know, like the sports teams stay there, and I've heard that there's major league baseball players who refuse to stay there. Really? And they won't stay at the Fister because of the ghosts. That's awesome. And so that's that's a really pretty well known one. There's one a place in Fond du Lac that I heard was haunted, and I stayed at the. I stayed at the, this hotel just hoping that I would have some experience with it. I mean, I'm just kind of really interested. Yeah. Um, there was a, one in my hometown in Sandusky, there was an old hotel that, that you, can, you can look on, you can see like YouTube videos where people are, are go, trying, trying to like get evidence, you know, video evidence of like floating orbs and stuff. I stayed in there once. Um, but I haven't had any really profound experiences with ghosts. I, f- I f- feel like I felt a presence, but it's more, most likely me imagining it, so I don't know. I have the, uh, the women's bathroom at the Oriental Theater. I don't know why, but I've always had a theory that there's like a crabby old lady ghost in there. She's in the actual bathroom proper. She's not in the little, there's like a little anteroom with a mirror in it, like a lot of old women's bathrooms have that's very fancy. And she's not in there. She's just in the bathroom, and she's really crabby. And I don't know where I got this idea from, but I can't shake it. And every time I go in there, I'm kind of spooked out. And I feel like I have to, like, chat with her a little bit to, like, talk her down because I'm like, look, I know you're crabby. I'm just peeing, and then I'm going to get out of your hair. And then we're chill. So, you, yeah, you must have... You heard that or you've had the experience, I guess. Yeah, I don't know where I got that idea from, but it's stuck in there. So Is that the upstairs bathroom? Yeah, the upstairs one. You know, they're changing those bathrooms now. I went to a no. movie there last week, and now they're, they're changing the whole bathroom situation there. Um, I know because a lot of the people complained the, because they had to go up the stairs. And I, and I always thought, like, well, they should just switch them around. Right. You know, if they're worried, I mean, I don't know what I, I, I would love to have to go up the stairs to go to the bathroom. I, that's actually one of my favorite uh, moments of going to a movie at the Oriental is that I always have to go to the bathroom at least halfway through the film. And then you get to walk up the stairs and it's like vast and lonely in there. And then yeah. you walk along the balcony and you can look at all the posters and you walk past the, you know, the actual balcony of the theater, which, which is always closed. And kind of peek your head in and look around right, and then go yeah. to the bathroom and it's kind of glamorous in there and lonely and there's a ghost in it. Like, I don't know what better experience you could want from a bathroom. And it's uh, annoying to me that they're going to change it. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be sad now. <laughs> I'm going to be really sad. Well, I don't know how they're, they're kind of in in the middle of work, of changing around. So I don't really know what the ultimate yeah. thing is going to be. But I went to see Barry Lyndon there. And which is a three-hour movie and had an intermission, um, so it was really exciting that, that the intermission came. And I went to the bathroom and I'd never been in that bathroom before because it's always been the women's room upstairs, and it has that yeah that exterior room. So now, and did it, they made it a men's room? Now? Yeah, so it's a men's room. Oh, but that might just be temporary. So I don't know how. I'm excited that you got to experience it though because yeah, it's great. Yeah, so yeah, it was really great. Yeah, it was, and. Um, Especially during an, it was cool because it was an intermission, which I love when there's intermissions in movies. Me too. Because I always have to, I can barely get through a two-hour movie without peeing, and uh, but when it gets to be a three-hour movie, <laughs> I definitely need it. Yeah, and you'll always go during a climactic scene. Like you'll wait until you think it's a non-climactic scene. Like, oh, it's going to be really boring for like three minutes. I got time, and that's always when you miss something, like an important plot point or something. It's very hard to predict. <laughs> you know, there, there's like websites or apps or something that, 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 that tell people <laughs> the time when they they can go to the bathroom. Wait, there are, or you think there should be? No, there are. There actually are. I that's haven't, amazing. I, I haven't looked at. I haven't actually looked at them, but I've heard that. That's great. There's an app for everything these days. That's amazing. An app to tell you when to go to the bathroom during a movie is really good. Yeah, it's probably a thing where you turn it on at the beginning of the movie and it alerts you or something like that. Right, like like when it hits a certain timer point, they're like, go now. I have a problem where I 
when I'm sick, I get a really bad cough because I have asthma. And um, I've had to leave so many movies and cough at, like, unpredictable moments. And it's the worst thing, trying to, like, hold the cough in and, like, skeet out of the theater really quick so that you can go cough as far away from the screen as possible because the cough is so loud, you're convinced that everybody can hear you. And I totally remember doing it once, and it turned out to be the end of the movie, and I hadn't realized it was the end of the movie. I just had to go, because I was coughing so hard, and came back, and, like, there were, like, 30 seconds of screen time, and then, like, a really dramatic shot, and then the credits. And I was like, oh, come on. It's so mad. That's <laughs> terrible, yeah. <laughs> Although it was not a good movie. It was that one about the end of the world where there's another Ice Age from years ago, and I think Jake Gyllenhaal was in it. I don't remember. It was bad. Whatever it was. So, yeah, so maybe it turned out okay. <laughs> turned out. I didn't miss too much. It wasn't like the shape of water or something. I missed something good. Did you, so where did you, you grew up in Madison? I did. I grew up oh. in Madison and I moved to Milwaukee. I moved to Minneapolis to go to MCAD, which is the art school there. Also, you lived in Minneapolis. A I while. did very, very briefly because then I moved to Mil I transferred to Milwaukee right away, basically because I followed a boyfriend who <laughs> moved back to Madison. So I moved to Milwaukee because it was the closest city to him that had an art school, and I ended up staying here. And oh, okay. we broke up. So Minneapolis is a good diner town. Yeah. Did you go to ever go to Al's? I don't know if Al's, I did. That's a really small. Diner. I think it's called Al's. Yeah, it's really that you can barely fit in. It's just the counter. I always love those really tiny places that are like so, that are just you can't believe they even exist because they're so small. Right, and it's just tiny. And um, have you ever been to the Pearl Diner in New York City? It's in the Financial District. Oh, yeah. You're talking about New York, so, and you lived there. So yeah, I like the Pearl the Pearl Diner because yeah. that's another crazy small one. And the speaking of the bathroom, the bathroom is like a weird closet. That's that you the get smallest bathroom of. I've ever been in. Yeah, <laughs> and your like knees are like squished all over the walls. <laughs> I just yeah, I just think like I, there's definitely people who are not that. You wouldn't think of them being that large, who would not be able to go in that bathroom. Yeah. I um, I barely fit into it's, it. It's it's it's, it's like unreal how small it is. And that one was that diner was great because they gave you fresh pickles. That was my really uh, strong memory of going there. I went to New York on a trip and I looked up every diner. Uh, there was like an article in the Village Voice about like ten top ten like best New York classic diners. And every time we were in a neighborhood that like had the diner, my plan was to go to it. But I think the Pearl was the only one we actually got to. Um, but, like, we got in and we sat down and they had these bowls of, like, homemade pickles. I don't know where they came from, but they were all different kinds of pickles and they were fantastic. I don't even remember the, the pickles from there. But maybe they, maybe it was the thing they started doing after you left. I don't know. When did you live in New York? Well, I la the last time I lived there was from 2008 to 12 or 8 to 13. Okay, yeah. So I think it was like 2015 when I visited, maybe. I didn't go there that much, but I, I kept expecting it to be closed down just because it's in the financial district and, and the, like the, the rents everywhere in Manhattan are so insane that you, it's, it's, it's a miracle any diner can stay open, you know, anywhere that's not selling overpriced food. Yet there's like a ton, ton of them. And, um, so I, I worked in Manhattan, and so I ate out a lot, and I was just kind of always amazed at how cheaply I could eat. Yeah. You can just, you know, and you're eating with somebody who's making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. You you know, you're sitting next to them at the counter eating the same exact things, <laughs> but you but you really could eat cheaply, and there's a lot of a lot of diners. Yeah, a lot of diners and street carts and things like that. Yeah, some of the street carts are incredibly cheap. Yeah. Can eat, I, and I feel like I could eat there cheaper than here. Um, Interesting. I, I just, I, you might be right about that. That sounds right to me. I mean, you know, if once you know, you know, the places to go. Yeah. I would just go to a tamale street cart that had just $1.50 tamales that were really good. And... They're big, and I get two out of my lunch, like $3 for lunch, and walk around. And it's like hard to eat lunch for $3. That's true. Unless around here, you have to go to, like, Target to eat lunch for $3, <laughs> which I did yesterday. I had a hot dog. <laughs> it was very glamorous. Um, I had another New York diner question for you. 
Um, so do you have like a favorite diner in New York? I, I can't even think of what, what would be my favorite offhand. I don't think I have, have a favorite. Um, there was, uh, no, I don't even, I don't know. There was um, one that was Mike's Coffee Shop near, uh, in uh, Brooklyn near, uh, I think it was Clinton Hill. I liked a lot. It was really cheap. And I I remember that was my favorite rice pudding. I've started to get obsessed with rice pudding lately. And I was trying to think of my favorite rice pudding. And I thought, Mike's, when they wouldn't make it all the time either. So it was like, oh, we made up a batch. And they would make you put a cardboard sign up. That's yeah. totally something you can only that's get fitting. at a diner, too. Yeah. Like, a really, like a diner that's really behind the times is like the kind that's going to have rice pudding, which means it's going to be the best diner, probably. So that was, yeah, that was... That was good. I, li- I lived there way back, too, before. I lived there another time in the 80s. And then there was a different group of diners I liked. <coughs> but I, I ate more at like the, the, the Polish and Ukrainian coffee shops at that time, which were pr- pr- more or less diners. There was one called Stanley's Coffee Shop in the East Village, which is gone now. And that was, that was a re- you know, it's just so, such a down home type old fashioned place you know the old guy working there those are usually my my favorite so this we talked briefly you asked if i had any uh diners that i liked in minneapolis and you just mentioned coffee shops so that kind of leads me to this question because we talked about diners how do you feel about coffee shops which is kind of like similar but not exactly the same it's like on a continuum of restaurant styles um, like when I li- lived in Minneapolis, I mostly went to a lot of coffee shops, um, and I didn't really do diners as much there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you go to a lot of coffee shops as well? And I'm talking, I'm thinking like now, like you know, Collectivo or places like that, or like the Hi-Fi Cafe yeah. or Fuel. Not, the yeah, I like, Fuel. I like. Yeah, I like. I go to a lot of coffee shops. I kind of think of them in a, in a very similar way now, which I I didn't used to. Um, and it seems like that at one point there weren't that I wasn't that interested in coffee shops because I would just go to a diner, and I would and I, I would just drink diner coffee, and eat diner food, and ignore coffee shops. But I feel like once the whole like the Starbucks phenomenon phenomenon started, it really changed things a lot, where there got to be less diners and more coffee shops. And so it's kind of just having to adapt right. to having a place to go. And, I mean, there's, there's just less diners than ever. Um, and there, there's probably more still in the East just because that the East had the, the old prefab diners, the ones that were made as, you know, the ones that were the train car style ones. A lot of those remain because they were just cool places and they were established. Then the farther west you go, there's less of those. So, like in Milwaukee, where I live, living in Milwaukee now, it's like I really just kind of go equally. I, th- I almost think I don't think of them equally, but kind of in a way, because it's to me, it's a, it's going to a place by myself, usually, and I usually sit right in a notebook. Yeah, I usually sit and write in notebooks, and and and, and which hardly anyone does. You. I can't. I never see someone sitting in a place writing a, a notebook. Very seldom. Now there's so many laptops open. Yeah, you see and a you lot almost of feel like yeah. like you're bothering the laptop people <laughs> when you when you go in. Like you're taking up valuable laptop table space, especially if you have a plug at your table. You can kind of see them like greedily eyeballing you because oh, they yeah, want your I plug. Even notice that? Yeah, that's you're very, you're very <laughs> <laughs> they covet your electric. Very, very sensitive. Yeah, and they just gotta ask. Yeah, I'm, and but I I like to go and sit and just write observations. So that's my that's my favorite thing is that I'm sitting somewhere, writing in a notebook. But then sometimes you're with somebody else, and then you're not doing that. Right. Too. Then you're just having chat yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like doing that too. Um, but I I I made a huge list of all the the coffee shops or any place that could be even used as a coffee shop. Or, you know, a place where you would feel comfortable going and just having coffee. Because some restaurants, you would never feel comfortable doing that. Right, other absolutely. places, you would. Um, so I made a big list of all the places in the area. 
Um, so I decided I want to like try everyone kind of systematically and try and like review them or write about them. So I've been I've been doing that. I was really hoping you'd say that because I was almost I was actually planning on asking you that like how systematic your coffee shop and, and diner explorations were because I have like an internal list but it's not I haven't written it down anything fancy but yeah it's and my you know it's an, an enormous list I didn't know how, I started going beyond the geography you know beyond a little bit but not too far out of town. Um, but I was, I was thinking, like, I'm gonna, everywhere I can get to on a bus, maybe, I tried to put on the list. But it's like, you know, it's like over 200 places. Right. And it's just like, and, and it's a, so it would just take me forever to get through. And then plus, I kind of want to go to some twi- twice before I really judge it or before I, like, write a review. Yeah. So I've been writing reviews on my website. I was just about to ask you that. And that's where I'm kind of writing stuff. Awesome. So on your website, you have reviews of all the coffee shops and diners that you go to. Yeah, but I don't have re- reviews of all of them, only um, <laughs> once I get around to reviewing. Right, right. It's, it's like write, writing is a lot more work than just going to a place. That's very true. And also it's just getting, it's slow to get to them. It takes, I mean, but it's nice having long-term projects. Yeah. That you can essentially never finish i like that idea where you never get through you're never going to get finished and then places are going to close and reopen um that's funny because we i feel like i don't know we live in a world now i was actually just thinking about this on a project i started yesterday that um we give ourselves projects with the idea of an end point and in some ways it's really not necessarily a healthy way to approach all projects like it's sort of a symptomatic of the way people move through the world and do work these days in America. Yeah. You know, like here's the project. I have to start here. I have to do all of the thing and then I have to finish it and have an end. And maybe some things don't have an end like reading books. You know, when you're young and you start reading books and you think to yourself, I'm going to read all of the Nancy Drew files, for instance. And then you realize at some point that they're just going to keep making them and that you're not ever going to have them all. You can't own them all and you can't uh, read them all. And that maybe it's pointless to try. And at some point it stops being fun to try and be a completist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they keep making, yeah, the certain ones they keep making. <laughs> and I did I did that with Hardy Boys where I had an actual paper list where I had like a grid on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, I would mark off the ones that I have, and then I mark them off the, after I've read it. And after, like, I got, I, I went up to up to like fifty something, and 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 then you know it would say on the back of the book, all the all boys from age something to something who enjoy mysteries will like these. And I go like, I'm like five years older than what the back <laughs> of the book says. That's the right age. You know, like I'm in college with my Hardy Boy books, and I go, I don't care. I'm still, I'm going to read them anyway, and now I still read them. Um, do you so. reread them, like for particular favorite uh, episodes, or do you yeah. read the? I'm sure there's new ones. I'm yeah, sure they've I been going everything. for. Like I, I, I reread every, every book that I. I mean, I, I may or may not reread every book. I mean, some books I'm not going to reread. So I don't have enough time, but. Like you re- I like rereading stuff. Reread every book that you have read or every Hardy yeah, Boys yeah. book. Okay. Um, with Hardy Boys, at some point, I, I found out that they started they started to rewrite them, um, and you know they they were started being written in the twenties and thirties, and then in the fifties they started rewriting the books, and I realized that I grew up reading the. All, only the the revised books, and and some of them this they're they're not even the same story, they just have the same title. They don't even, they, even the characters are different. They'll have a, like a different bad guy right. name. I mean, they won't be remotely the same. Some of them are very close, and so it's it's when I found that out, I said I'm going to reread all the old ones because I'm I just felt like I had been cheated, kind of. <laughs> And because I didn't know that, so I started re- reading the old ones when I had found the original texts, which and then I realized that those were much better written and more interesting, and um, so I, I really got into that at some point, um, 
But I, I'm probably not going to try and reread all of them. <laughs> I didn't realize the Hardy Boys books went back so far. Yeah, I mean, the first ones were 1927. Huh. And the first Nancy Drew is maybe 30. It might have been 20s too, but I think maybe the first Nancy Drew is 30. Yeah, I didn't discover Nancy Drew until I mean I was maybe like ten years old or something, and like in they did a reboot of the series as they do every few years, and it was like uh, geared towards kids in like the late eighties, early nineties. So and they called them the Nancy Drew Files. Oh yeah. And they would release them like pretty regularly, and that was like the first time I discovered the concept of like for instance that Carolyn Keene wasn't still writing them, that that was like at that point a pen name. Yeah. Uh, like the idea that you could like that even that they had existed in the the I didn't even realize it was the 30s. I had thought it was like the 50s or something. And of course, my mom was very excited. She's like, I read those when I was a kid and gave me some of the old ones, which to me at that age, I was like, these are old. I don't want these. You know? Yeah. My mom had one Nancy Drew book that was, she said, really scared her. <laughs> so we had that old copy of that. And that was the, an original text one. But I just, I didn't realize that. When, what happened to me one time when I was in grade school is that the library happened to have an old text, one with the original text. And I read that, and, I, and it freaked me out. This is Nancy Drew? Uh, Hardy Boys. Or Hardy Boys. Hardy Boys, okay. Where they just had, you know, they had the library binding books. Yeah. And, they, and I, I did, so I, I felt like I was on, on drugs or something. Because <laughs> it was like a Hardy Boy book, but it was so different. And... Like the language is a little different. I mean, it's just you know, it's it's just a very different time in the '30s. Yeah. And um, I mean, a lot of one of the reasons they revised them is because there there is, is racially insensitive stuff in a lot of the old ones. Oh, interesting. Um, particularly Nancy Drew more than the Hardy Boys even. And so they 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 were trying to change that in the with the revisions. Right. So you know, kids wouldn't read these things and be influenced that way yeah that is i can a, understand that but you know but i'm reading them as an adult so it's it's there's there's a kind of historical element you get from trying to imagine what it was like that is a strange thing to encounter uh like one of my favorite books is peter pan but there's actually uh the way they handle like the idea of the the indians in peter pan is pretty uh racially insensitive oh, yeah. also it's i don't I mean yeah it's um and it's hard because I w- thought I was going to read that book to my kids someday because like, it was so, there's so many beautiful things in it, um, but I can't. I don't know how to like talk about the sort of like discrepancy of like the Indians and the way that they treat them. And of course, they're sort of fictional Indians because they're supposed to be from like a child's imagination. But even that, a child's imagination in like when that book was written is different than a child's imagination is now. And trying to explain that the idea of cowboys and Indians or something like that to a modern kid is a little fraught. So I haven't even gone there. I know. I don't even, I can't even imagine how I would try to approach stuff with kids like that. Um, well, with, with children's books, is so it's so hard too because it's like I would I would just try to force all my favorite books on my kids, and they it is really hard, they, yeah. And they have this whole there's this, all these newer books that their friends are reading, you know. Then our friends are reading completely different books than you, right? And the new books seem like it's kind of like me and the Nancy Drew books. Like the the new books seem cool and like current, and they're the kids can relate to them, and they're in this language that they understand, and they're very funny. A lot of them now have like a kind of comic element to them. And um, getting a kid really excited to read, like, uh, A Wrinkle in Time, for instance, is kind of, like, you don't want to force it on them because you don't want to ruin the experience for them. But on the other hand, it was, like, a book that meant so much to you as a kid. You're like, here, read this, read this. And your kid's like, nah, no thanks. <laughs> it's yeah. really, or, like, the Ramona Quimby books, which yeah. were big with me when I was a kid. And those were modern at the time, but now they're, like, you know, 30 years old or something. Like, Yeah, what, yeah. I was be confused by certain things, and I mean right. you have to be thinking about it as a different time, which is a weird thing for trying to explain. Right. Certain things about those books are really last, though. Yeah. I'm gonna. Um, I started reading all these other series books too recently. I mean, there's a lot of other ones besides. Besides the Hardy Boys and the, the, you know, those are the two most famous ones. Right. But that's, that's a, that's a fun thing. 
older series of books yeah, or old, older, series? yeah older older series books like I started reading these other ones that were similar time periods interesting uh what's the title of the series um or the the one i'm what I'm reading right now is is Connie Blair. So she's That's like, such a great name. It sounds like a like it's from its era. <laughs> Blair mystery, but I think it's this one's from, I believe it's, I don't even I think it's from the fifties or the forties. I don't even know. I, no, I think it's forties. It was post war, maybe forty eight. But she's she gets a job in Philadelphia in a department store, um, as a She's she's like not graduated from high school, but she gets a, you know, it's kind of an internship type job, and where her aunt works at the department store, and then there's a mystery. I did I just like I like these mysteries that are, that are kind of they're sort of, they're kind of mild, you know, like not, not you know right. people aren't getting murdered, but she does get hit over the head and knocked unconscious. Though, so oh yeah, that happened to Nancy Drew all the time. In retrospect, she probably had so many concussions. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> it's probably terrible. Okay. <laughs> it affected her crime fighting skills, probably. Yeah, and the really Hardy Boys is constantly getting yeah. knocked unconscious. In movies and books and in fiction, people are just constantly getting knocked out. And it's actually like so much, like in real life, getting knocked out like that would be so severe. But in movies, people are just like, oh, it's fine. They didn't kill the guy. They just knocked him out. <laughs> like It's no big deal. It's actually really hard to knock someone out. And also yeah. kind of like like a big medical problem when you really the think about it. Consequences. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to wrap up the show uh, it's been really great having the discussion today. I want to thank you for coming on the show today, Randy. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, and hopefully you would have me back sometime yeah. because I have a lot more to talk yeah, about. Yeah, come back anytime. We can, do a, we can do a part two on coffee shops and diners. I, I would love to. I know I could go on, on and on about di diners. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, uh, and we'll see you next episode. All right. Thank you.